Hebrews 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a little bit. Hebrews 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, nothing like good music to get you ready for the Word of God. All right, 2 Samuel, or Hebrews 11, one hand, and 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the other. Uh, let me read a, a, just one verse, or actually two verses, excuse me, from Hebrews 11, and then we'll go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I want to be real upfront with you guys. Uh, sin is fun for a while. Then eventually you got to pay the bill. Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and going to read a few verses here, a little bit, just to try to make sense of the, of the story so you understand what's going on if you're not familiar with this Old Testament passage of Scripture. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, It came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house." And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now he's sending for her husband. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. Are, are you guys kind of following what's going on right now? David has taken this man's wife and it wasn't his, it wasn't his to, to take. It wasn't his wife. He took another man's wife. And now that he knows that this woman is, 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 is conceived and has got a child inside of her womb, now he's called the husband from the battlefield and he's trying to get him to go home. You kind of read between the lines here and understand we got kids in here. Understand what's going on. And Uriah, because he's a good man, he cannot fathom the idea of going home and enjoying what he wants to enjoy with his home and with his family, with his wife, when he should be in the battle. When it, the Bible starts in this passage and it tells us this is the time when kings go forth to battle and David himself, who is the king, has no regard for any of that right now. All he's thinking about is what he wants. Look, if you would, at verse number 14. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. 
Can you imagine carrying the letter that was your death sentence and not knowing it? And it came to pass when Job observed the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people, the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Following the narrative so far? Well, now the husband's dead. So we can kind of like, you know, kind of cover this up, smooth it over, you know, and kind of just pretend like nothing happened. Look down, if you would, at verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. I think maybe the most important part of this passage is the last phrase in verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, I want to point out that if you were to go back to the beginning of the chapter and you were to look at verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, you've got a handful of verses that kind of give us insight into the pleasure of sin. But can I point out to you that the rest of the chapter is much longer? And can I point out to you that the chapter to follow, which we'll get into later, points out to us kind of what comes after that pleasure. You know how we're wired? Give it to me. I want it now. I can take it. I'm going to have it now. Without considering what comes after. Let's go, Lord, in prayer this morning. Brother Eric, if you'd ask God's blessing on the word. Amen. Be seated if you would. Doesn't the Bible say that David is a man after God's own heart? How do, you, how, how do you go from being called the man after God's heart to doing something like this? And before you judge David, listen, listen. When I witness to people and I go, hey, you need to, be, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oftentimes, here are the things that they say. I don't steal. I never killed somebody. And yet, here's a man that stole another man's wife and then had that man killed and tried to cover it up. And yet, God said, that is a man after my own heart. Let me just say this. That part of David's life is not a reflection of God's heart. You know what that reminds us of? You can be a born-again child of God and still make a complete mess of your life because of sin. Let me say this. Sin is messy. And the way sin is portrayed in this world, listen, when you see beer commercials, you guys remember the old 90s and 2000s, the most interesting man in the world? Remember that guy, you know, you know, uh, he makes fear afraid of him, you know, dun, 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 you know, all the time. here's the most interesting man in the world. They never show a guy that's, you know, 65 years old, bald, wife beater, belly out to here, stains all over, you know, can't keep a job, can't, you know, can't keep his family. They don't show that. They show young people in nice clothes, I'm sure with perfume and cologne on. Why? Because sin is always presented in a pretty package. And look, you may go in your mind, before I even get to this, I know where some of you are at. You're like, oh, I, I'm not into that law. A preacher, I don't commit fornication. I, I would never do what David did. But let me just say this much. Sin is not limited to this. 
Sin is in all of us. It is part of our nature. And, and I, I read this. Sun Tzu said this in The Art of War. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You know what that means? If you don't recognize the nature of sinfulness within you, you've got an enemy. Look, look, you could move away from the world, no computers, no TV, no cell phone, live in a, in a monastery as a monk, and you still carry sin with you everywhere you go. <laughs> It is inside of you. There's a draw that you have to it, and you desire certain. Maybe it's not that. Maybe that's not your sin, but let me say this. There are moments of your life that are marked with that message of, man, I enjoyed that for a season. But let me just say this about seasons. They end. Uh, We're coming to the end of winter, which is what, amen, amen. Don't get too excited. We've probably got four more snowstorms before it's all over. But, 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 you know, that's what we do, the whole daylight savings time thing. You know, we're moving into spring and all that stuff. Seasons don't last forever. And in this life, whatever you're going through, whether it's pain or suffering or the pleasure of sin, it doesn't last but for a moment, and then life moves on to the next season. And so yet we, we have to look at this and go, did not David know that what he was doing was wrong? Of course he did, just like we do. <laughs> The Bible says in Romans chapter number six, sin shall not have dominion over you. And yet there are times that it does. You know what's interesting? I, I know this. I know some people think, well, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not getting as high as a kite. I'm not getting hammered every weekend. You know, I'm not sleeping around. I'm not doing all these terrible, really bad, wicked things. You know, I'm not like those kinds of people. You've got sin in you. You've got, you've got a draw to sin, and when you are drawn to it, it looks good, and you think to yourself, it's not that big of a deal, I can handle it, I can be an exception to the rule, and you can't. Can I point out a couple of things? He wasn't where he's supposed to be. Look, if you go to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, he wasn't where he's supposed to be. Can I say this? He was a little bit bored and kind of wandering and kind of without purpose. Look at verse number 2. Can I say when you're bored and you don't got anything to do, that's a bad place to be in life. And if that's you, come see me. I got plenty to do. Let me know. I'll be glad to help you out. But I'm telling you right now, when you're bored and purposeless, temptation hits when you're tired, when you're weak, when you're bored, when you're without purpose. Listen, you don't want to be in a situation like David where David is in a place where he should not be. And therefore, because he's not in the right place, he's got a lot of time on his hand to think about things. And because of that time to think about things, if you don't fill that void with God himself, something else is going to fill that void. I read about a man that was trying to lose weight and, you know, he's severely overweight and he's just kind of sick of it. And he said, you know what? I know what my problem is. It's this bakery. And this bakery is on my route to work. And every morning I go by and I get these pastries and I get, can anybody empathize with that at all? <laughs> all right. So, so, and here's this guy, he's thinking to himself, man, all I got to do is I got to, I have to make sure that I change the route that I drive to work. Amen. And so now I'm going to drive a different route. I'm no longer going to go that way anymore. And by bypassing that bakery, I will reduce the the desire to succumb to my temptation. So he's a Christian, man. He's probably a Baptist because he's overweight. Amen? He likes food. And so, boy, that felt like a lead balloon. (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, he's driving through. And one day he goes, you know what? If it's the Lord's will, 
If God wants me to, 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 to kind of, you know, be able to overcome temptation, then what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive by it. And you know what, Lord? Here's what I'm going to do. Lord, if there's a spot right in the front of that bakery, I'm going to take, after about a week of this, he was kind of leaning towards going back to his old ways, and he's trying to have God kind of be a part of that plan. Anybody ever been there before? I want to go back to, I mean, I'm going to just kind of make sure that God's a part of it. That way I can justify what I'm doing. So, Lord, if, if there's a spot that's open right in the front, then I'm going to know it's the will of God for me to just have one pastry one last time, and Lord, I'll know that it's from you. Hallelujah, that last donut. And don't you know he came into work after a week of no pastries, and all of a sudden he's there with a pastry in his hand. They go, whoa, 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 what happened, man? He goes, well, let me tell you a story. I was praying, I was reading my Bible, you know, and reading about manna and, you know, angels' food. And I just thought maybe this is God's way of saying that he wants me to go back by that bakery. And, and I said, Lord, I don't want it to, to come to temptation, so I'm going to put out a fleece. And Lord, if you want me to eat a pastry once again for the glory of God, <laughs> then Lord, would you just make sure there's an open parking spot right in the front? Now, there's two kinds of people. There are people that, uh, if they're going to a store, they just find a parking spot and then they walk. That's me. My wife is strategic. She's like, okay, it's like a mile away. She's like, everybody keep your eyes out for an open spot. Oh, honey, we could have been so much closer. I'm like, does it matter at this point? Just find a spot, right? This guy says, Lord, if the spot is right in front, I'll know this is of you. And they're like, well, you got a pastry. She's like, yep, sure enough. After that eighth time around, The Lord opened up a spot, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, that's a funny illustration, but the truth is sometimes we get a little too close to sin. And we try to justify it by saying God's okay with it, and he's not. Amen. Look at verse number three. You know what the Bible says about her? She has beautiful look upon. Sin's always going to be packaged in a pretty package. Now, now, this is... Let me just say this once. David has still biblically, you can make the argument he wasn't where he's supposed to be, so that's a bad thing. But as far as the narrative goes, he hasn't sinned yet. Do you know where it gets to be a problem? Look at verse 3. Then he inquires about her. I wonder about that. You know, there's some things in your life you don't need to know. There's some doors that need to stay closed. There's some things you don't need to look behind the curtain. There's some things in your life that maybe they're better left in the past. There's some things in your life that you should go, you know what? The best way to deal with sin, you know what the best way is? Don't mess with it. And so David goes, well, I'm just going to look into this a little bit. Lord, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just kind of, you know, just kind of seeing, you know, what she's up to. That's all. That's it. Well, you know where that leads to. Look at verse four. He took her. In verse five, she's with child. You see why? Because something you need to learn about sin is you can't cover it up forever. You say, where does this end? Look at verse 26 and verse 27. It ends with death and the displeasure of God. But this morning, if you're going, well, <laughs> preacher, I'm not going to hire an assassin. I'm not going to get anyone killed. I'm not going to go take another man's wife. Well, that's not me. I mean, I'm way, way above all of that. I, I, I believe you for two reasons. Number one, you don't have the power that a king does. You've never been tested like that. But I know this, you have the same nature David did. You know what sin is? It's uncontrolled anger. It's unbridled lust. It's pride. It's comparing yourself to other people. It's the tongue that's critical. 
It's hatred of the brethren. It's gluttony. It's overeating. It's undereating for the purpose of vanity. It's caring more about what others think than what God thinks himself. It's carrying a secret agenda to, in order to manipulate the outcomes and manipulate people to get what you want out of them. It's hardening your heart to the souls around you. It's looking down other people. It's ignoring the spiritual discipline of reading your Bible and prayer. Uh, you know what it is? Sin is, is saying to the Lord, it doesn't matter if I go to church or not. It's basically knowing what a good thing is and not doing that thing. It's, it's basically saying, you know what? I'm gonna post something online. Is posting something online evil and wicked in and of itself? No, but I'm gonna do it to get attention. I'm just gonna throw something out there because I wanna fill a void in my life. Instead of filling with God, I'll fill it with social. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying sin goes a lot further than you think it does in your life. And when it goes unchecked, it can make a mess of the way you think. It can make a mess of the relationships in your life. It can make a mess of how you interact with God himself. Because you harden your heart to it and you go, I'm not like that guy. Yeah, but you've got issues. And they're deep and they're buried. And rather than addressing them, you go, you know what? I can cover it. I can deal with it another way. Can I remind you, God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That is the God you're dealing with. I said this in Sunday school, and I mean it. Some, gods view, uh, some guys view God in this light. They view God as Zeus with a lightning bolt. At the moment you mess up, I'm going to strike you. And then over here is this hippie Santa Claus that whatever you want to do, you can do it, you know? It doesn't matter. Guess it, I said, whatever will be will be enjoy your life that's the purpose of life just live it up because why eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and can i say this that's not god and that's not god either you know where god's at god's kind of right over here going i love you and i designed you to fellowship with me but what you're holding on to is disconnecting our relationship and what you're holding on to is defiling your mind and what you're holding on to is breaking up your family. And what you're holding on to is destroying those relationships that I've designed for you in your life. You say, what is it? It's this little three-letter word called sin. Doesn't it feel good? <laughs> it does. Let's be honest. When someone has said something about you and you got a great comeback, you're like, oh, yeah. And in that moment, you're like, mm how you like me now and afterwards you're like did I need to say that why did I say that you ever been in a situation husbands and wives don't raise your hands in, the, in church please don't do this <laughs> rhetorical question where your spouse says something and then you know oh yeah Ooh, let's go back into the treasure trove of experiences over the last 15 years oh yeah well look at this exhibit A and then you dangle this thing over them, something they did 10 years ago, and you remind them how bad and how awful. And you know what you're doing? You're becoming the devil's advocate. You are becoming the accuser of the rest. You are sinning in response to their sin. But you feel better about it, don't you? You know what happens every holiday season? Seasonal hiring. Coles, JCPenney's, they put these signs. We're going to hire, you know, we hire all these people for the season. But they tell you up front, it's not going to last forever. It's a temporary job. You know what that is? That's sin. It, it, there's pleasure in it. I want to be up front. I'm not here advocating sin. I'm not here as a commercial for sin. But I want you to know sin can be a lot of fun. But eventually you've got to pay the bill. You know what happens every year in the National Football League? For 16 to 18 weeks, these people battle it out through injuries, trade deadlines, 
bad coaches, coaches leaving, all kinds of stuff. And man, they play teams better than them and somehow they slip in the playoffs. And, and if it's, especially if it's a wild card team, they get to the end of that thing and then they win, you know, that, that final last game. They get to hoist that Lombardi trophy over their shoulders and they kiss it and they put their kids on, on, you know, on their shoulders and the kids kiss it. You know, they're passing this around and everybody's excited. And it's my, I just reached the pinnacle of my life. And then next year, it's another team. Why? Because the season ended. The season ends eventually. This generation that's being raised right now, they've been told you can do whatever you want, no holes barred, no limits, you only live once, do what you want, if it feels good, try it, do it, without being told, yeah, but eventually you've got to pay that bill. You don't get away with that forever. There's this natural universal law called the law of sowing and reaping. And the way it works with God is resist temptation and and withhold yourself and restrain that flesh and reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ and say no and resist it and you'll enjoy some things later on. And the devil's path is like this. Enjoy it now. Don't think about it. You want it, you can get it. Do it. Make it happen. Don't think about it. Just enjoy it. You deserve it. So on and so forth. Yeah, but the bill's coming. Anybody ever gone to buy a car and they're like, how much can you afford a month? Bad question. I want to know how much the car costs. Yeah, but let's just talk about money. No, 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 no. I am not young and dumb. Not as young and as dumb as I used to be, all right? And so when I go car shopping, it's not how much can I afford a month? You know why? They will strap 500 bucks a month on you for the next 120 months of your life. If you let them, the answer is not. You say, why? I want to know how much is it going to cost. Well, let's avoid that. You know why they want you to avoid that? Because all they want you to think about is, can you afford it right now? That new car smell does not last forever, especially if you got kids. Amen? Eventually, it smells like stuff and McNuggets and you know the drop drink and one time I, remember, I forget which car it was we had a pot roast in the car it was my dad's food and it sloshed around and let me tell you something that pot roast tastes amazing but the smell of that entering the fibers of the carpet and sitting in there for weeks at a time did not smell like new car <laughs> eventually the season ends a man or a woman works their entire life so they can get to retirement and they finally get there, and they're like, what am I going to do with my life? See, the, the season that ends brings the new season. You understand that? I can't wait to marry him. He's the man of my dreams. He can do no wrong. You know? He's just he's so dreamy. And... Like, I think I may have seen a picture with this cutoff thing. Like, you know, I could see the muscles in there. And <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Eventually, those muscles look like this. <laughs> the season will end. About my, my daughter goes, oh, no, he'll always look that good. Sucker! <laughs> he will not look that good forever. Can I get a witness, gentlemen? <laughs> Dad bod 2.0, baby. Hey, hey, listen, eventually that season ends and a new one starts. It's called children, and they suck the life out of you. That four hours at the gym, you can kiss it goodbye. Rock-solid abs are gone. You say, what's in its place? This. Why? Because that season ended and a new one began. Am I right or am I wrong? 
right? I mean, yeah, you know, you know, she thinks he can do no wrong. Yeah, until you marry him. And, you know, like the socks that he leaves, like, in the middle of the carpet in the bedroom, and you're like, why does he, yeah, amen, that's right, right over here, yeah, amen. And you're like, why doesn't he, and this is how a woman thinks about it. If he cared about me, he'd pick this up. The man just thinks it's convenient I threw him there. <laughs> Honey, I love you. I don't care about, this has nothing to do with you. This is about me and the socks. <laughs> so, so there's a season of dating, then there's a season of marriage. Those are two different seasons. I mean, I'm telling you, marriage can be blissful. I love my wife. I have a great marriage. I'm not taken away from that. But it ain't the same as dating. When you move in with someone, you realize they're a person. You know, she ain't just a foxy baby. Amen? She's got ideas, and she's got things she wants to do in a certain way. Do you understand what I'm getting at? There's different seasons in life. Seasons are just that. They, they, don't, they don't last forever. I mean, oh, man. Some of the things that we wore and did in the 80s. Guys, remember the boom boxes? <laughs> you laugh now. It was cool back then. Right? My, we were watching a movie yesterday, and my, we were explaining to the kids. They're like, oh, my goodness, why can't they answer the phone when someone's on the Internet? Because the same line used to be used for phone. And they were so confounded. And then they're like, what's that box? That's a voice message machine. <laughs> what, what, what looks cool and high tech and all that right now is eventually going to be outdated. Yeah. See, one season ends and another one begins. So you enjoy your sin. But I just need you to know that's not the end of it. You know what marketing is all about? Making you convinced that you deserve something. You need to have it. You know, I think that the greatest marketeer that ever lived was the devil himself. He'll convince you you need it, and you deserve it. That's why we have a generation of young people that will buy $200 Air Jordans like that and not think twice about it. Ask them to dedicate 20 bucks a week to retirement or savings, and they're like, why would I do that? I'm not picking on them. I'm not picking on them. They haven't been shown by our generation. Do you understand? And, and so they, all they think about is this season. Well, what about the one after? See, Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and the devil says, your eyes will be opened. Don't you want your eyes open? And then she goes, you know, now I think about it, that tree looks really good for food. And one to be desired to make one wise. And it's really good to look upon. Why? Because that's how sin presents itself, always. I mean, people have this idea, like, guys, you know, I remember the 80s. It was, it was say no, just say no. Then it was like, you know, this is your brain. <laughs> this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? I remember being eight years old going, I don't understand this. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> and now the same government that did that said, oh, no, we're going to legalize it. Right. 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 You're not going to get society will not get away with the... Rep- You're going to have repercussions to legalizing stuff. You understand that, right? Some of you complain about homelessness in Aurora. Did you notice that it coincided with when we started legalizing drugs? 
Some of you are complaining about, I can't even have my car. My car got busted into. My car. Okay, do you know when all this started to go up? Look at some data. Look at crime data. And look at the correlation between the two things. The government, the politicians didn't want to talk about that because all they could see was the revenue they were going to make out of it. They saw the quick buck. Now it's costing them billions. You've got to pay for people to go out and be counselors on the streets to help people. That's going to cost you money. All they saw was, this is what we want right now. Yeah, but what about afterwards? Our kids have learned that they don't get away with really much. They got cameras everywhere, you know. Mom and dad are going to find out. I got one of my kids who shall remain unnamed who sometimes will look at me, tears streaming down the face. I say their face to hide the gender, okay? And... (laughs) And they'll say, I know you're going to find out every time. And I still do it. And I'm sorry. And I, I look at that, and I've got to be honest with you, there are times when I'm not mad. I look at that and I go, man, this has probably got to feel like what God feels like when he's talking to me. Tears streaming on the face. I know you're going to know about it, but I'll do it anyways. So why did David do it? Did he know it was coming? The answer is, I don't think he realized everything was coming. Do you know why you pursue what you know is wrong over and over and over? I think sometimes because you're trying to fill a void that only God can fill. Sometimes it may be because you're living without purpose, without direction. Maybe you completely replace God's authority in your life and you're listening to the wrong voices. Or maybe you just Refuse to consider what comes after this season. Saul had all the power and all the authority, the ability to manipulate people. You know where he ends up? Dead in a field, and the Philistines cut off his head. Ahab dies in disgrace, and his wife, who terrorized the prophets, ends up face down on the ground outside the city walls, and the dogs chew up her body. I'm not trying to be gross. This is Bible. Samson, the mighty Samson, the one that could destroy everyone and destroy an entire army by himself. I mean, Samson was like all the Avengers rolled into one. And one day he wakes up and he wist not, he did not know the Lord had departed from him. And he gets up to fight like every other time and it's not like it used to be. Ever have those dreams? Any of you guys ever have these dreams where you dream someone's broken in your house and you go to punch him and you're like... And like your hand turns into jello in the dream. You're like, what's wrong with my hands? Right? Like that's my biggest, I hate those dreams. Samson gets up and that's how it must have felt to Samson. You know why? Because I'll just do it like I did every other time. But sometimes you don't get up the same way. That rich young ruler that came to the Lord and the Lord said, hey, uh, you want to follow me? You got to ditch this. You got to sell everything you got. You know what he said? No, thanks. You know, that's the last time you ever read about that guy. You never read about him again. Well, maybe he got right with God. Yeah, but maybe he didn't. Because of how he responded in that season of life. The prodigal son, you know the story? He goes to his dad, Dad, give me the portion of goods that fall unto me. 
Dad, you know that eventually you're going to kick the bucket anyways. That's mine. I just want it now. I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. You know what the father does? The father obliges the son and goes, here you go, son. And he takes his journey to a far country. And there he is. And the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living. And you may go, oh, what I would never do that. But let me just say this. Anything that is not for God, anything that is for self, anything that is about fulfilling your lust in this life, I don't care if it's gossip. I don't care if it's pornography. I don't care if it's hatred. I don't care if it's pride. When it's for you and for sin, it will be a waste in God's eyes. And then you have this other woman that comes to Jesus Christ and she sits at his feet and breaks that box and everyone around her says, why was this waste of the ointment made? And the Lord goes, no, that wasn't a waste. See, we get backwards what we think a waste is. I'll never forget years ago, we were going to go to Bolivia, South America. I'm walking very delicately around these flowers because during Sunday school, I tipped them all over. Turn them like this. What do you guys think? Out of the way there, yeah? We are going to Bolivia and uh, a, a family member uh, on my wife's side. Don't laugh. <laughs> she says, uh, you're going to waste your life. She's going to waste your life going to those people. They already have their indigenous religion. Don't go to Christianize them. They don't need you. That's a waste. And the Lord said, no, 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 I got this. You need to go. You see, what people call a waste isn't what God calls a waste. That, that prodigal son, he wasted his substance. And you know what? I, I, don't think, I don't think in a million years he ever saw himself on all fours. I mean, one day you wake up and you look around and go, what am I doing? I've got pigs eating right next to me. Do you understand what it is to be a Jew and to be interacting with pigs? Do you understand how they look at pig meat? And there he is in the slop, in the, mit, in the mire, on all fours. I guarantee you sweat dripping down and the gross food and the flies buzzing around. You say, what is that? That's the end of sin. That's not how it's presented, but that's the end of it. And he looks up and he looks around and he goes, what am I doing? The Bible says he came to himself. You know what I love about that story? Some of you get a hold of this. The father didn't go looking for him. The father stayed where he was supposed to be. The son had to come home. You need to get a hold of that, Christian. Sometimes when you go out to do your own thing, you go, where's God? God's exactly where you left him. I think about Lot. I don't think Lot thought for a moment his life would end up with his wife turning into a pillar of salt, his daughters and all kinds of perversion along with him. In a, I don't think he saw any of that. You know what happened one day? Abraham goes, we got to split up, guy. You got too many people, I got too many people. And Lot looks up and he sees the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, like, well watered like the plains, of, like, like it was in Egypt. And he goes, man, it's green over there. It's beautiful over there. That's where I want to take my family. I can make a living there. I can become somebody there. I can do great things there. Never prayed, never sought God's advice. He went in that direction. I, I guarantee you when he did that, he did not think it would end the way that it ended. But that's the whole point. Things don't end how they start. But began for just a look for David became a whole lot more. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to chapter 12 of 2 Samuel because I want you to see what happens after the pleasures of sin for a season. 
We got people all over this room that would say, you know what, it was fun for a while. And here I am, and I'm not advancing in my job. I'm not advancing in my career. I've got a broken marriage. I've got this going on. I've got this health issue. All because I thought it would be fun. It's fun for a while. Can I say this, number one? You have to learn to look in the mirror after that time of pleasure with sin for a season. You know what happens in chapter 12? The Lord sent Nathan unto David. Look at verse 1. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. And you know what he does? He gives him an analogy of how David stole that poor, that poor man's one lamb to fulfill his own lust. Look, if you would, at, that, at verse number 4. The Bible says there came a traveler under the rich man. You know what that traveler is a picture of? It's a picture of the desires of your flesh. You will say things sometimes, and as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, didn't need to say it. But in the moment, it felt so good. You say, what is that? It's a traveler just passing through. It's your lust. It's your flesh. It's what you want in the moment without thinking of what happens after. Oh, it's just a joke. Yeah, but was it? You spouses, you husbands and wives understand anything about this? Oh, I was just, I was just kidding. It's not left that way. Years later, it's remembered. You say, why? It was a traveler. I'll never forget a story about a man that went shopping with his wife and they're shopping for something. Some lady walks by and she's not exactly dressed appropriately and that man just kind of follows and without even lifting up her head, that lady goes, was it worth it? You see, what is that? It's a traveler. You get up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep and you're frustrated with some things in life. You can turn to a lot of things in the dark of night or you could turn to God and his word. You say, what is that? You're going to either follow the traveler or you're going to follow the voice of God. You know what happens when Nathan the prophet comes to David? He basically takes a mirror and puts it up to his face. Look, if you would, at verse number six. David, oh, verse five. David, when he hears this story, he is so angry. When you hear about other people and how they sin and how they make a mess of things, doesn't it get you all, that's terrible. I, I don't know why they would do that. That's an awful thing. Didn't they consider anybody else? How dare they? And then David, look at verse number five. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore forth of the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And I love Nathan's response in verse 7. Thou art the man. In other words, David, look in the mirror a little longer. You're so busy pointing out the faults of society and a different political party and your neighbors and the people at church. Look in the mirror. Look at, and look at who you are. Look at not what you want people to think you are. Look at who you really are. Look at what you think when no one's around. Look at what you dwell on when no one's around. Look at what you go after when no one knows any better. This is you. The Bible says, If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goeth his way and straightway forgeth what manner of man that he was. You know what this book is? This book is basically like a mirror. You know what God will do whenever you're in sin? You enjoy that, that pleasure of sin for a season. You enjoy that moment, and the Lord says, okay, but I need you to look in here. Yeah, Lord, I can't believe the people. Oh, man, those people going to schools and reading those kids those dirty books. Oh, that's wicked. Oh, and Lord, I can't believe what they're doing with that cover-up. And Lord, I can't. Lord's like, yeah, but look here. Yeah, yeah but look here. I don't, I don't want to look in that mirror. Thou art the man. 
Imagine being David. Imagine being filled with what you think is righteous indignation and going, how dare someone do that in my kingdom? And Nathan goes, yeah, you know what? <laughs> it was you. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really that guy. You, you misunderstand. No, 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 this is actually who you are. Can I say this secondly? You have to learn to face the truth. Look at verse number nine. You know what the problem is? It's not you and other people. It's you and God. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart. Yeah, but I I just, it was just a casual thing. It wasn't, we didn't mean to hurt anybody. We didn't want it to be a big deal. I didn't think it had to be a big deal. I just, it was just a momentary thing. Yeah, but you have to understand, there are people connected to your story. It is going to hurt others. Now you've got to face the truth. Listen, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you know what they say, you know what the, the king says? Uh, give me the head of John the Baptist. Why? Because he's, he's just too truthful. With Micaiah, the Old Testament prophet, I hate him is what Ahab said. Why did he say that? I don't want to hear the truth right now. I want to enjoy what I want to enjoy. Quit telling me what's wrong and what's right. Just let me do my own thing. You know what's amazing about that? The people out in the world that say that They don't like the God of the Bible because he's a God of judgment. They just pronounced a judgment on the God of the Bible. Isn't that something? You're going to judge your entire life. The question is, where's your judgment coming from? Is it coming from the word of God or yourself? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I don't need to be in church. Okay. What does the Bible say? I don't need to get right with that person. What does the Bible say? You should know the truth. The truth shall make you free. You know what Jesus said? Now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You know what they said in response? You're crazy. No one's trying to kill you. Right, guys? And a couple chapters later, they have him hanging on the cross. You know the problem is they didn't want the truth. Their agenda mattered more than the truth that Jesus Christ was offering them. Can I say this about words of truth? They're eternal. Lies are temporary. You know lies you tell yourself when you get involved in sin? Those are temporary. They're here and they're gone. You start dwelling on things and thinking on things you have no business thinking about. You start playing God in certain situations and manipulating people. You start gossiping about somebody because you're upset about something that they, you think that they did. You start getting involved in it. And you know what you start doing? You start justifying yourself and going, yeah, but they did. Yeah, but you don't understand. Yeah, but, and the Lord's like, would you just drop all the butts and let's get, on the, get down to the truth. The reality is this is wrong. You know, you tell yourself just one time won't hurt. Yeah, I can. Nobody has to know, but they will. I can control it, but you can't. It's not a big deal, but it is to God. Everybody's doing it, but they're not. Look at, with me, if you would, at 1 Timothy chapter 4. New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Do you know when you're listening to a lie and when you give in a sin, it's not the Spirit of God that's leading you. You understand that? Ask yourself, what spirit is that? See, spirits in the Bible are connected with messages that are brought to people. And, and I don't know what spirit you're listening to. Let, let me just, let me help you out. 
If you spend, I know I'm going to offend somebody, I'm not trying to, but it's the, it's the truth. If you spend your time in your car all the time listening to Alex Jones and Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck, I'm, you go, oh, but those are conservatives. No, they're, they're on the right side of things, preacher, and you shouldn't talk about it. Let me just, if that's all you listen to, can I say, after a while you're going to be an agitated, grumpy old man. You know why? There's a spirit in there. And you know what the truth is? The truth is, half the stuff they're talking about, they might be right about, but the conclusion is, we got to do something about this. No, the conclusion is, I need to preach the gospel if you're a Christian. Well, I still have time. But you won't get that if you're filling your mind with that spirit. You understand what I'm saying? When you give in a sin, you are listening to a spirit. Look at First Timothy 4, look at verse 1. Now the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to what? Now you always look at that and go, that's doctrine. What made you think it's only doctrine? You know, I think some of that's practical in your life. You know what a seducing spirit is? Let me get you away from what is right and present something to you that you might think is better. So you know what? I don't need church anymore. I got YouTube. Right? You know what that is? That's a seducing. I'm not saying you can't get good stuff. Listen, I don't. Pastor said, I can't watch YouTube. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But I'm going to tell you this it ain't church. Sin's going to cost you. Sin leads to death. Sin leaves you worse than it finds you. And it hardens your heart if you don't deal with it the right way. It can destroy much good. Look back, if you would, at 2 Samuel 12. I want to show you something in this passage. It oftentimes, I believe, is overlooked. Second Samuel 12. Your preacher is kind of heavy, I know. Sin's heavy. There's a solution for it. We'll get to that. But that doesn't take away from how vile and how destructive sin is in our own lives. You know who the worst enemy is in your life? It's not your spouse. It's not the government. I know some of you are convinced it's the government. It's Joe Biden, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he can't walk up the stairs. He ain't worried about you right now, okay? You know what the biggest problem is in your life? It's you. It's you. Second Samuel 12, look if you would at verse 14. How be it. Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to what? Well, it's just about my life, isn't it? You're wrong. It's not just about your life. It's about the lives of those who are watching your life. Oh, I wish people wouldn't watch me. Are you out of your mind? Some of you have like social on like 50 platforms and you're like, why is people watching me? no big deal. Can, can, you know what's interesting in the New Testament? When the Lord is giving the genealogy of Jesus. Can I, can I read something to you for just a moment? Just to prove to you that God can forgive you, but people will not forget. And Jesse begat David the king. This is, this is in Matthew. I'm just reading it for you. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Hundreds of years afterwards, when it's given the genealogy, it's like, yeah, by the way, she wasn't his wife originally. 
but God, I, I, thought, I thought you forgave me. Oh, he did. But you're not just dealing with God. You're dealing with people. Well, I don't care what people think. You need to care enough to be able to reach them. Can I say this? You'll be given the opportunity after the pleasure of sin for a season because you have a loving God. You know what I tell my kids? I don't want to discipline you. <laughs> It'd be easier if you just lived a perfect life. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. And when you do wrong, it's my responsibility as a loving father to correct you. You see the judgment of God, you know how it's viewed? That! You know what it really is? It's to try to stop you from making a bigger mess of your life. When God steps in and he sends a preacher to David, he says, thou art the man. And David has an opportunity to say something. Look at verse number 13. You know what David says? Three very powerful words. I have sinned. (laughs) You'll be given the opportunity to own your sin. We live in a day and age where anything that's wrong in your life is clearly somebody else's fault. <laughs> right? You know, I have an addictive gene. Where's that in the Bible? <laughs> Can I be honest with you? Every human being in this room has an addictive gene. We all want to do what God says not to do. You know what sin is? Sin is addictive. You go, oh, I just I have an addictive gene. We all have that in us. You're not special. I hate to say it like this, but you're not. Eight billion people on the planet, we all have it. If I do bad in school, it's the system's fault. If I can't get in my job, it's the man. You know, if I can't get a date, blame the opposite gender. Maybe you're a jerk. Maybe that's your fault. I don't know. But you know what? We live in a day and age where, no, it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. If I don't advance in life, it's, it's someone else's fault. If, if I can't do this, it's someone else's fault. If, if I've got a messed up life in my 40s and 50s, it's my parents' fault. Can I say this? There's, an, there's a shelf life on how long you can blame your parents for your problems. Like, like at some point, you've got to take responsibility. And in the word of God, you know what David says? He does not say, I have sinned. But you really got to understand, it was a hard time in my life. I was stressed out. I'm the king after all. If you understood, if only you knew what it was like to be the king. And everybody's got to ask you, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? It's stressful. It's hard. You've never been the king, have you, Nathan? You're just a dumb preacher. I can't do this. I got stressed. And so I, I gave in. He didn't say that. He just says, I have sinned. Famous NCAA basketball coach, John Wooden, you know what he said? You are not a failure until you start blaming other people for your mistakes. That may not be scripture, but boy, that is biblical. Adam and Eve. Adam, why are you, why are you hiding from me? Oh, you know, it's kind of a little awkward now, Lord. Oh, why? What happened? It was the woman. <laughs> but it, yes, it gets better. It wasn't just the woman. It's the woman that, now that I think about it, that thou gavest me. <laughs> Scriptural? That's what he says, isn't it? God, why did this happen? Because you did wrong. 
Moses comes down on the mountain. Everyone's naked, dancing around a golden calf. He's been gone for 40 days. He's like, man, this is, this is a bummer. I thought I could get away every once in a while as a preacher. Come back, and this is happening. This is terrible. And he goes, Aaron, what happened? He goes, oh, you know the people. <laughs> you know how they are, Moses. That's why you needed a break, and now I need one too, now I think about it. That's <laughs> what he says. The people. Saul, why didn't you slay Agag and all of that light? Oh, man, I, I wanted to. I, I really did, but man, the people, they had their hearts set on this. The people, the people, the people. And when Saul gets a chance to get right with God, he doesn't get right with God. You know what he wants? He wants to cover it up and he wants to make sure that preacher, hey, come with me and worship so that the people think everything's okay. It's all about blaming and shifting and it's all about them. Take responsibility and look at yourself in the mirror. This is me. I read this, it's true. Baseless victimhood is usually the last stage before outright aggression. You know what Saul ended up doing? Throwing spears at people. Why? He was a victim. Don't you feel sorry for me and what I'm going through? And this is the same guy that's trying to kill his son and an innocent man, David. You say, what is that? That's someone that takes no responsibility. You know what a good leader does? They take the blame and they give others the credit. You know what Saul did? He took the credit and gave everybody else the blame. You know, that's a picture. It's a picture of the old nature within us. The old man. I read a book once called 13 Things That Mentally Strong People Don't Do. I'm not going to tell you what all 13 are, but I'll give you two of them. Number one, they don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. You ever met someone that's successful? It's always like, you don't know how hard it is. Those are not successful people. You know why? Because you can't be successful in any, even spiritually, when your mindset is that way. And they don't feel the world owes them anything. You know what David says? I have sinned, period. You know what's really weird? I found this yesterday when I was studying out, studying this thought out. The first four people in the Bible that say these words, I have sinned, never actually got right with God. David did. It's weird. You've got Pharaoh in the book of Exodus saying, I have sinned. Ends up at the bottom of the Red Sea. You have Balaam saying, I have sinned. You have Achan saying, I have sinned. You have Saul saying, I have sinned. They all die in their sin. You say, what's the difference? Go to Psalm chapter 51. You know what David does? For sake of time, I won't read all of it. But in 2 Samuel 12, for seven days after he hears that his child is going to die because of his sin, you know, why would that happen? An innocent life would die because of someone else's sin? It happens all the time. And oh, by the way, David, be careful with what you say on pronouncing judgment on other people. You say that man needs to restore the lamb fourfold. Well, guess what? Your baby dies. You lose Amnon. Tamar, your daughter, is raped. And Absalom is killed. Four sheep for one sheep. Be careful what you pronounce judgment on other people. It has a way of coming back on you. So why does David survive this? Why is this not the end of David's story? 
I think the difference is Psalm 51. For seven days, David is on his face praying and talking to God. And no one really knows what David is saying. All they know is that he won't get up and he's just weeping. No food, no water, seven days straight, fasting and weeping. Praying for the child, trying to get things restored with God. You say, what is that? That's a man that's broken because of his sin. You know, I learned in reading the Bible, there are two ways to be broken. Admit that you are or force God's hand to show you you are. You know what David does? For seven days, he's there weeping before God. Oh, that we could get to a place where our sin bothered us so much that we wept about it. We think so casually about sin. Oh, I just told a lie. It's no big deal. You don't understand. That. That's literally what put Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus became that lie. Jesus became that lust. Jesus became that hatred, that pride, that arrogance, that gossip. He became that discord among the He became all of that. Why? To save my soul. That's how seriously God the Father looked at sin. For seven days, David is on his face praying before God. And if it wasn't for Psalm 51, we wouldn't really know what it was that David had to say. I know this much. At the end of those seven days, when he found out the child was dead, he got up and he washed himself. He anointed himself and changed his clothes. And, and they all looked at it like, this is weird. You poured your heart out to God. And now that you know the tragic news that the child didn't make it, now you're just moving on. And you know what, David? David had the right outlook. He goes, man, I, I can no longer fix what is done, but I know that God does not want me to stay down for the rest of my life. He wants me to get up. He wants me to get cleaned up. He wants me to get back up. He wants me to get back in fellowship with him. I have to move on with my life. You know what I see? I, 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 and I want you to get a hold of this because if you don't get a hold of this, you miss the whole message. After the pleasure of sin for a season, by the grace of God, you can find restoration with God you don't have to stay down but let me just say this when you do get down let's not do one of these God forgive me for I sin God if you know how hard it was God if you knew who I married the Lord's like you married him sucker amen <laughs> I didn't force that you married that person the woman who thou gavest me you know the Lord's like hey if you only knew God don't do any of that stuff say God I have sinned. I wanted it. I went after it. I thought about it. I said it. I manipulated. Lord, I lied. I was wrong. You ever just catch yourself in the day? How many times do you lie throughout the day? You ever stop and say, Lord, forgive my lying tongue? You ever, you ever, you ever catch how often you're critical about other people? And you say, on the way to church, you know, come to church, hey, how you doing, brother? You know? Do you hear what Brother Tim preached last? Oh, I didn't like what he said about that. Oh, that Tim guy. Hey, Brother Tim. So good to see you. Isn't it good to see him, kids? It's so good to see him. Isn't it wonderful? I just, aren't we glad we're a part of the family of God? Oh, yeah. I'll dice you and slice you on the way to church, but I'll hug you when I get there. You ever stop and say, Lord, I'm wrong. Forgive me. No, it's no big deal. See, that's your heart. Your heart's getting hard. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my wife's transgressions. Amen. (laughs) I acknowledge my husband's transgressions. I acknowledge my brethren's transgressions. No, no, no. It's me. It's my sin. It's my I got out of church because I wanted to. I'm not going to blame other people anymore. I quit reading my Bible because I wanted to. I'm not going to blame anybody else. God, I started looking at things I didn't have any business looking at because I wanted to. I started lying about people to make me feel better about myself because I wanted to. David is pouring his heart out before God. I believe Psalm 51 gives us insight of what he's saying to God in seven days' time. Look at verse 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest me clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Do you notice he owns his sin in verses 3 and 4? He recognizes that the problem is on the inside in verse 6. He desires cleansing in verses 2 and 7. And look at verse number 10. He, you know, he says, Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's not just the outside. It's stuff on the inside that needs to be cleaned up. How do you know David really got it right? Look at verse 13. They've been watching me this whole time. I might as well teach them what's right. Might as well tell him my story about how you are so merciful and you are so gracious. Lord, I'm not holding on to the past. I'm looking to you now. And Lord, I made a mess back there, and I know I'll have to pay for that down here on this earth. But Lord, can I make up for some, can I redeem some of that time by helping others avoid the mistakes that I've made? That's what's going on in verse number 13. That's the sign of a different kind of heart. Saul never does that. Achan never does that. Balaam doesn't do that. Oswald Chambers said this, Leave the broken, irreversible past in God's hands and step out in the invincible future with him. I've witnessed to people and they say things like this, It's too late for me. No, it's not. If you're breathing, it's not too late for you. You go, well, I don't know about all this sin stuff. I know this much. You talk about going to heaven. I don't have that confidence. Can I say this? The reason you don't, is because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you can do that today. A living dog is better than a dead lion. That's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes. You know what that means? The, the, the king of the jungle, he's dead. The dog who's not strong, he's alive. He's got the upper hand. You're breathing right now. You call me a dog? I, I'm calling myself a dog. I'll eat the, the crumbs that fall from the master's table, Amen. I don't mind being a dog, but Lord, can I be a living dog? Can I do something for you while I have breath? Can I make up for lost time? Can I make a difference now? Yes, in Christ you can. One day you're going to take your final breath if you're lost without Jesus Christ and all the pleasure and all the heartache and all the pain and every experience of this life will seem just a moment in time. And you'll slip out from this life in the next and you'll land in a place where there's no joy and no peace and no love and no familiar fellowship, 
and the Bible says weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, are you one of those old-fashioned preachers? that be- yeah, j- Just like I believe in the God that made everything that's here, yes. I believe that same God desires for you to be with him in fellowship for eternity. But if you choose to not accept his terms for restoration, and you go, I'll do it my own way, then you'll pay yourself. In a place called the lake of fire. If you're saved here, can I ask you a question? Are you maybe getting a little hard toward the idea of sin and kind of just letting it slip in your life? I'm thankful this wasn't the end of David's life. You know what David does at the end of his life? He prepares for all the building of the house of God. God lets him do that after everything that he messed up. That's the mercy of God. Do you know why God allows that? You know why God ordains David to do that? Oh, he doesn't build the temple, but he prepares all the stuff for his son to pick up the ball and take it across the finish line. You know why God allowed all of that? Because God saw that when David messed up, after that pleasure of sin for a season, David realized, I have an opportunity to be restored to my God, and I am going to take it. And God used him. God used him after doing something that is so vile and so wicked that oftentimes when you try to witness to somebody about being saved, they go, I don't steal and I don't kill. These are the things that David did, and yet God says, I'll I'll use you, David. I'll clean you. I'll purge you. And you'll come out on the other side better. It doesn't ignore. We're not ignoring the consequences of sin, but you can be restored to God. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, would you help us to see sin like you see it, not to make light of it? God, I pray that you'd help us as a church to desire to be more like you, to be more holy. Lord, to not make light of sin, to think it's no big deal. We live in a day and age where it's just saturated our entire society. We don't think anything of it at all. Lord, I I pray that your people today would, would desire to have clear communication and clear fellowship with you. Lord, that we wouldn't make light, oh, it's just a little white light, Lord, Lord, that we would look at sin like you do. God, would you help us to have your mind about this? Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know what it means to be saved, they would understand it's not the lying, it's not the stealing, it's not, that's not what condemns them. It's that they've never trusted in you as their Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Christian, can I ask you, how's your fellowship with the Lord? Is there anything between you and the Savior? I'm so glad that once I'm saved, I can't lose my salvation. but I can lose out in fellowship and the sweetness of the fellowship with my creator, my savior. And when that's broken, man, it's just not the same. Life isn't the same. I don't see things the same. I don't view things the same. I don't speak about things the same. I don't have the same passions and the same desires. Christian, I'm just kind of warning you. We live in a time where sin is just not a big deal. It's a big deal to God. Don't, don't allow that in your life to just stay there. Deal with it. 
cleanse your temple. When David did that, the Lord moved in and asked this question, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you be honest enough between you and God? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking. Would you be honest enough between you and the Lord to be able to raise your hand and go, you know what, I don't, I'm not saved. I don't know where I'd go if I died today. If you don't have that confidence, I, I can't save you. It's not my job. It's not how that works. But if you'd be honest enough to maybe just slip your hand up very quickly, I'd like to pray for you. I won't point you out. I won't drag you down here. That's not how it works. But I'd love to be able to pray for you. Is there anybody here that say, preacher, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure that if I died right now that I'd be in the presence of God. There have been times where I've dealt with my kids and had to correct them. And afterwards, there's this kind of like, <sighs> and that's kind of a good feeling when they do that. It's kind of their way of going, I'm glad we got this dealt with. Because I had guilt in my mind and in my heart. And God doesn't want you as a child of God if you're saved walking around with guilt and shame. That's where David was before Nathan came to him, before he spent seven days on his face. But preacher, I don't have seven days just to pray to God. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I get that. Some of you need to be able to, willing to spend seven minutes over some of the things that are going on in your life. It wouldn't hurt you. It'd be good for you. spoke to you today. I pray that you walk out with a healthy appreciation for the mercy of God and that you walk out with maybe a little bit more of a, a sensitivity towards sin in your own life. I'll be honest with you. I have no problem being sensitive towards Dion's sin. That's bad stuff, right? Real bad. When it's someone else. When it's me, it's kind of like, well, well, the Lord wants us to look in the mirror and go, Let, let's stop that. Let's be honest about who we are. Let's address it. Because until you do that, your fellowship with God, just it's not going to be as sweet. And if you're here and you're not sure about salvation, please, I'm begging you, don't leave here today without assurance of knowing that you're going to heaven when you die. We'd love to show you from the Bible what the Bible says about how you can be saved. won't cost you anything. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to get baptized. There's none of that. It's a simple choice to accept Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing. We'd love to see you Wednesday night. We're continuing our study on our God-given Bible, where our Bible comes from, and how we know it's from the Lord. And would love for you to be here for that. And the kids will be downstairs doing uh, Disciples Bible Club. And again, continue to pray, if you would, for those going to Korea and for our church building situation as well. Uh, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Brother Stian, if you would ask God's blessing. And we hope to see you Wednesday night.